Good morning, everyone. So good to be back with you. Let's open with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your goodness to us. Lord, I thank you for this church, for the faithful men and women who are a part of the body of Christ here at Lakeside. I thank you for everything you have done and that you continue to do in our midst. And I pray, Lord, for today that we will be able to rejoice in the many blessings you've given us. I thank you, Lord, for the first part of the annual business meeting, and I do pray for the second part, that things will go well. And we just thank you, Lord, for the privilege we have of being a part of your family. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to be talking about the youth summer camp messages. And as I thought about what I was going to do, it occurred to me that... And this month, it magnifies it, as I'll say, but we quite often overlook the real struggle that we have. I mean, we read in Scripture, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and powers, spiritual forces of wickedness. But on a day-to-day basis, we don't see that. At least we don't realize we're seeing it. And so when Spencer approached me, I realized our young people are being bombarded with evil that is incomprehensible to me. They are being confronted with things. The world wasn't ideal. It was no less sinful when I was a kid. But there was no smartphones. There was no internet. These things didn't bombard me. Maybe I knew somewhere that there was some evil. But I feel for young people. And so when Spencer gave us the opportunity to be a part of it, I knew I wanted to warn them about what they don't see. I needed to warn them because I see it even in discussions that believers can be oblivious at times to the fact that there is an entire spiritual world that we don't see which isn't positive and that it influences everything around us. So as I had the opportunity with the kids, I realized I've taught from time to time. When I taught through Hebrews in here, I talked about angels and fallen angels when I taught through First Peter in our class, at one point I, you can't help but talk about our adversaries, the devil, prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking those he can devour. It's in chapter 5 of First Peter. But as I did this talk for the young people, I had a little bit different outline, a different approach, and that's what I'm going to share with you. And it really has to come down to the strategies and the schemes of the devil. And... It's clear from Scripture that Satan has never changed. We think we're evolving. We think we're different. We think we're more enlightened than humans that lived a hundred years ago, much less those ancient humans that lived when the Bible was written. But the reality is we're not any different. We still have fallen hearts. We still have fallen minds. And Satan has not changed his approach in all these years. Why hasn't he changed his approach? Because it keeps working. He doesn't need a new scheme. Now, does he have new mechanisms? Of course he does. The internet didn't exist 50 years ago. He has new ways of disseminating, but his strategies are the same. And there's a phrase in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, and Paul is talking to them, and he says this, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan For we are not ignorant of his schemes. 
In other words, Satan has strategies. He has schemes. He has things that he does. And as I reflect on the church in America today, I would say we are ignorant of his schemes. Not Lakeside so much. Lakeside is stronger than most places. But if you look at American Christianity, the church is ignorant of his schemes. We couldn't say what Paul says. I say that because of the fact that the vast majority of churches in America in part are apostate. That's a whole other story, but I'll allude to it. But when you look at the world around us, there is a proliferation of problems that I assure you Satan and his demonic forces have an impact upon. So as you look around our society, there's a massive increase in suicides. A lot of that is satanic. Why do I say that? Because when a father came to Jesus and pleaded for a demon to be cast out of his child, what was the demon doing? Throwing him in the fire, throwing him in the water. What we describe today is we say, well, they attempted suicide. No, that was demonic evil. And when God takes his hands off, Satan can do evil and wicked things. You look at the book of Job. God took his hand back and said, don't touch Job but Satan, through his forces, killed all of Job's children and many others. We see these mass shootings that happen, the proliferation of wars. The, those things aren't just random evolutions. Despite what they say, it's not because the gun manufacturers figured out how to make a gun. It's because Satan is a murderer from the beginning. I'll read the scriptures. That's Jesus' assessment of Satan, and it's happening everywhere. Any big city right now, you look at the drug use the rampant destruction caused by that. I'm convinced at its root, a lot of that is satanic, demonic. The breakdown of morality, the explosion of pornographic content everywhere, the embrace of evil as good, as I'll talk about in a moment as an illustration, is evidenced by Pride Month all around us. And yet, our society, including far too many Christians, don't realize that, yes, these are sinful humans doing these things. They're accountable. They can't blame Satan. But by the same token, from the scriptures, it's clear. Satan is the one who is pushing this agenda. So my goal for the students and my goal for you over these next couple of weeks is to highlight and remind you of what I believe are the basic strategies of Satan from scripture. I don't sit around thinking about Satan. I don't like teaching on him. I don't like preparing. But if we're supposed to understand and be defended against the schemes of Satan, we have to know what they are. So that's what we're going to be focusing on. I want us as believers to be discerning. I want us to not be ignorant of his schemes. I want us to be reminded of truths that we've already been taught because we face an adversary that never stops. He never gives up. If you read in Job, God asked him a question, where have you been? He said, I've been roaming about. He's still doing that. He's still prowling around. And so I want us to be aware of his schemes. And this morning, I'm going to cover two of them, but there's four that I'm going to be covering. But these are just the basic schemes of Satan that I believe are gleaned from Scripture and that help us and should help us so that we're not ignorant of his schemes. 
So the first basic scheme of Satan that I'll talk about this morning is this. He disguises himself and his motives. He disguises himself and his motives. And I think in one sense this is the most obvious point and yet I think this is where he does most of the damage in this day and age because people don't even realize that Satan's at work. He's done an incredible job in this modern era of our current state of existence of hiding the fact that he even exists. If you ask most unbelievers in America about the devil or Satan, you probably would get something along the lines of, oh, I'll be happy to talk about him along with Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. Because that's how real they think the adversary is. But this is what's sad to me, and I read this originally, I believe, when I was teaching on First Peter. But I read a survey, and it surveyed Christians in America, and around 60% of Christians didn't believe that Satan was real. That's shocking to me. How do you even identify as a believer if you don't believe that he exists? But that's one of his schemes. Now, I want to be clear, even as I wade into this over the next two weeks, and I remember reading this thought when I was a new believer, and it really was enlightening to me, but it's not my thought. C.S. Lewis wrote about it, and it had to do with the fact that Satan is not equal and opposite to God. When I grew up, that's how I believed. There's the good and the bad, and there's a... No. Satan is just a created being. He's just a created angel. And he is not on the same level as God the Father or God the Son or God the Holy Spirit. He has a lot of power. He has a lot of freedom for the mysteries of God to do things. But he's just a created being. Colossians 1.16 talks about the creation. It says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. That would include all of the angelic creatures. And Satan was simply a created angel. That's what the scriptures play out. When God finished creation, it's always fascinating, he saw all that he had made and it was very good. And that would have included all the angels at that point. But from the end of that statement in Genesis 1.31... To Genesis 3, something happened. And, and I won't go into all the details, but we know from Scripture that Satan rebelled against God and he was able to convince a third of the angels to rebel against God such that by Genesis chapter 3, he was an enemy of God. But it's interesting what happened. And I thought about this a lot. And again, I don't want to be an expert on Satan. I want to be an expert on Jesus. But in thinking back through his first temptation, it makes my point for me. I said he disguises himself and his motives. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, as God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Here's what jumped out at me. He did not appear to Eve as an angelic being. He began by disguising himself in the very first temptation as just another animal in the garden, the serpent. 
if you read through the scriptures, anytime an angel revealed itself as an angel, generally it's of a holy angel variety, but it was a terrifying experience for humans because angels shine. They have such a power and a presence. But Satan, at the very beginning, disguised himself. Presumably, so that he could approach Eve without her being alarmed. Now, that's always hard to process because I can't imagine what the garden was like that a serpent could come up and talk and she wasn't alarmed, but that's another story at another time. The fact remains, Satan didn't appear to her as Satan. He appeared as a serpent. And disguising himself, I believe, disguising who he is, is really a reflection of his character of deceit. I go back all the time to what Jesus said about Satan. He was rebuking religious leaders in John 8, 44. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. In the context, they were upset at him because of his relationship to God the Father, and Jesus is just rebuking them, saying, you're like your father, the devil. And Jesus said this, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And I think that's wrapped up in disguising himself of who he actually is. Generally, as you read through criminal accounts, there's always fraud or something else. People are always disguising themselves. There were articles just recently about these... uh, they call them sextortion things, where these young kids are sending off photos of themselves to people that they think are other young kids, and it turns out that they're scammers in Nigeria that then blackmail them. They're lying to them. They're deceiving them. That type of evil is just what Satan does. He hides who he really is. Now, most of you are would understand what I was saying. I, I thought through, and I didn't realize... I was going to talk to the kids about popular culture, but their popular culture is different than the popular culture I grew up with. But when I was a kid, Satan always looked like Satan. Why do I think I know what Satan looks like? Because I saw him in cartoons. So he's always got a pitchfork. He's got a pointy hair. He's red for some reason. I don't know why that is, but he's always red. But even if you look at Hollywood movies, there's generally, he looks like what we think he's supposed to look like because he looks like what Hollywood has made him to look like. He's a monster, or he's got horns, or pointy ears, or hair. He's always on fire. I guess that's because we think he's got to be on fire because he's going to hell. But I think part of the issue is, if we truly saw Satan, we wouldn't recognize him. Because he wouldn't walk around. I think he'd be more dressed like me than he would be like one of the caricatures of Hollywood. I say that because of Scripture. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14, talking about false teachers, and I'll come back to this in the course of this teaching, but he says, No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. In other words, when Satan is on the prowl, he doesn't have a sign over his head that says, I'm evil, look out. I'm coming for you, look out. I read, rereading some materials I was studying, a commentator said, Satan is as comfortable smiling as he is scowling. And I would say, I think he's as comfortable in a pulpit as he is in a bar 
or a drug den. He disguises his appearance. I think he's a master of disguise. He could blend into any situation. But not only that, he, he disguises his appearance, but he disguises his motives. These two really explain, I'm convinced, a lot of the spiritual state of America. Satan does not come out and say, look, I'm here to destroy you and ruin your life. I'm here to make you miserable. I'm here to kill you. In fact, don't believe a word I say because I'm a liar, but I hate you and I want you to die. He doesn't do that. If he did, we'd know who to run away. Just like if a con man told you, by the way, I'm trying to deceive you and take all your money. I'm going to ask you for your bank account information, but I'm going to wait a little bit. Of course, he's not going to get anything. Satan disguises his motives. And again, if you go back to the garden, it sums up everything that he's still doing thousands of years later. I'm going to read, again, the account of Eve. I'm going to read Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan made himself Eve's friend. Eve, I'm here to look out for you. I don't know what you think you heard from God, but my goodness, that's not the way it is. God's word is wrong. In fact, God's trying to hold you back. If you'll just give in to what I'm saying to you, you're going to have more happiness than you'd ever know. In fact, you'll be just like God. He's trying to hold you back, but let me show you the way to enlightenment. Let me help you. If you do this, it'll be great. You'll know as much as God knows. He's trying to keep you in the dark. I'm trying to help you. So you follow me, and I'll show you freedom. Now, of course, it was a lie. He's a liar and the father of lies. It's in his nature. Eve shouldn't have listened. He wasn't trying to help Eve, but that was his goal. He knew she would die. Hence, he's a murderer from the beginning. And as near as we can tell, and this part is more speculative, I can't speak of the motives, but it seems as though whatever happened to Satan, he already knew, I'm going to hell forever. I'm going to be cast out and judged. And it's as though he said, I'm going to take everybody with me I can grab. I'm going to bring down mankind. I'm going to destroy them. He wants death for everyone. And again, it's as though... Because he hates God so much, beings created in the image of God simply rile him up and he wants them dead. Again, Jesus said he was a murderer from the beginning. 1 Peter 5, 8, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He hates humanity, he wants to destroy humanity, but he portrays himself as a friend of humanity. Humanity. 
It's not a coincidence or an accident that suddenly everywhere you look, including pulpits all across America, behavior that is condemned by Scripture is applauded. It's corrupted and destroyed any sense of true right and wrong. Now, I use this as an illustration because I'm teaching in June. It's Pride Month in America. You cannot have gone anywhere unless you've been living under a rock. And if you've got a rock that blinds all this stuff, I might join you next June. But I think it's so offensive. It's not surprising to me. My eyes are open. But the offense of Pride Month transcends so much because of the spiritual component. It's not happenstance that they picked the rainbow as their symbol. I never want to be crass, and I hope this is across the line, but it's almost as though we understand in our society it's a crass, vile gesture to give someone a middle finger. It's as though the entire society through that rainbow is doing that to God. It's ironic because he made it clear this rainbow was a sign of the covenant that I won't destroy humankind in the same way again. And it's though Satan is running around with that saying, you surely will not die. He's doing what he's always done. And Pride Month, I'm not even talking about this particular sin because all the other sins are just as bad, but it illustrates everything about his schemes and his motives. Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image and in the image of God he created him. Male and female. He created them. Again, I lived in California for 18 years. I didn't see that coming. That we couldn't figure out what a male and a female is. In fact, we're to the point now where we're saying, of course, God didn't create them male and female. There's a variety of options. Thousands of years ago, this sin was around. Deuteronomy 22.5, A woman shall not wear man's clothing, nor shall a man put on a woman's clothing. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. It's not new behavior, but it's packaged differently. But the lie is the same. It's not really an abomination. You surely will not die. Did God really say... The entire basis of this Pride Month is theoretically you're being freed from the shackles of morality that are imposed upon you that are for keeping you dissatisfied, for making you hide who you are. Again, you can hear Satan all around us. If you look closely, did God really say that homosexuality is wrong? Did God really say that you shouldn't pretend to be a gender that you're not? Did God really say you surely will not die? Again, the issue of homosexuality is it's an issue in all the scheme of sin. More times than not, I've been bothered that Christianity focuses too much on certain sins and ignores the other sins. So if someone's struggling with homosexuality, everybody will pay attention. 
But if someone's cheating on their wife, well, we'll just, we'll just deal with that later. But it's clear from the Bible, homosexual behavior is sinful, period. It's not a close call. Leviticus 20.13 If there's a man who lies with a male as those who lie with a woman, both of them have committed a detestable act, they shall surely be put to death. Their blood guiltness is upon them. Did God really say, you will not die? We're living in Romans 1, 26 and 27, but we understand Romans 1, 26 and 27 was written 2,000 years ago because the evil was similar. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. The same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Did God really say, you surely will not die? In fact, God knows that if you do this, you'll be your own God. You'll know good and evil. You'll know what's right. Satan and his demonic forces know they're leading countless people to their destruction. I don't get angry so much with all these people. I feel sad for them when I see these pictures of people at parades. There's Pride Month in St. Pete, I think, yesterday, and I, I actually, this morning, as I was looking at a photo, I, I enlarged it because those are humans that are deceived and I was looking at the pictures, and some are young, and some are old, and there's kids there. And every one of them is hearing the message, did God really say, you surely will not die? Satan's trying to convince them, and he has convinced them, this is for your good. And he's leading them to death and destruction. Again, it's just an illustration. That's not my point. My point is Satan and his schemes. But you can see his schemes played out in front of us this month in America. The second basic scheme of Satan is this. He disguises himself in his motive. Second, and this is what makes it dangerous, he uses God's word to further his work. He uses God's word to further his work. I've thought about this for years. I've taught messages and I've alluded to this. But it never ceases to amaze me. Satan is as comfortable with the Bible in his hand as he is with a fifth of alcohol. He can destroy with both. Sometimes he lies about what God said. Sometimes he uses the word as it's written and deceives and distorts. But the point is this. We have to know our Bibles because Satan is happy to use God's word for his purposes. Again, you go back to the first temptation. And he said to the woman, Behold, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Now, that wasn't what God said. Satan knew that wasn't what God said. But what was he going by? There were no written scriptures. He was saying, Did God say? He never stopped. If you go to the temptation of Jesus, one account in the Gospels of Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. 
What always amazes me about this, and this is just, it's a reflection not only of Satan's schemes, but also of his arrogance. But in Jesus, scripturally, is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word, and yet Satan tried to use the Word to deceive the Word. Matthew 4, verse 5. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Here's the point. Satan didn't have a problem trying to tempt Jesus with the word of God. Hey, the Bible said it, so you distort it and throw yourself off. Well, Jesus responded every time with the word. Jesus understood the context. He knew what was there. My point simply is this. I think it's probably the case based on what I see, but it's certainly true at least in terms of what the scriptures say. Satan is doing more damage with the word of God today than almost anything else because pulpits all across the country are filled with people lying about what God said. Countless churches are helping Satan in his work because they're led by people who do not believe the truth and they don't teach the truth. They're teaching doctrines of demons dressed up as truth and they're telling people, God didn't really say. They're speaking like their father, the devil, and lying like he is. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen 13 to 15. I read verse 14 about Satan disguising himself as an angel of light, but the context of it is fascinating because it's talking about false teaching. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen. 13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end will be according to their deeds. In other words, Satan disguises himself and he dresses up people who are doing his bidding, who are standing in pulpits using the word of God to deceive people, either by saying it's not what God said or you don't understand it, or they're saying, well, it looks like it says this, but really what it means is, 1 Timothy 4 once says this, but the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the face, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. That's what's proliferating in pulpits all across America. It's very exasperating, because again, I don't want you to think I'm beating only on one horse but the number of churches that are displaying a rainbow this month in solidarity with sin that is an abomination. The number of pastors that are giving sermons justifying evil is tragic. Can I exhort you? Can I encourage you? Even with me, don't listen to it just because I'm a pastor. He's wearing a suit. He can't be. He's wearing a suit. That must, he must have some credibility. No. 
even with what I say, what Pastor Steve says, don't believe it because I say it. Believe it because you can go to the Scriptures and examine them and see if these things are so. That's what's not happening in America. There are apostate churches, and I believe in some of those apostate churches, there are genuine believers there. But they don't even realize because they're not grounded in the faith. They haven't been taught the Word of God. They're not even aware at times that they're hearing things that are contradicting the Scripture. I can tell you in my almost 16 years... What year are we in? Yes, July 1 will be my 16-year anniversary at Lakeside. I started on July 1 in 2007. I've heard a lot of people... I shouldn't say a lot. More than a handful of people at Lakeside say things to me that were absolutely contradictory of scripture these are people that have listened to pastor steve for years they've been a part of good studies they should know better and yet they've said things that aren't true imagine how many people that are believers do that if they're not well taught it's exponentially worse Acts 17, 11. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. You have to do that. You have to do it when I teach. You have to do it when Jack teaches or Bruce. And you even have to do it with Pastor Steve. Now I'm confident that if you examine the scriptures, you'll see that these things are so. Because we're not just waxing eloquent about what we think. We're trying to teach you the word of God. But that is in short supply in America. And sadly, even some Christians who are curious aren't discerning. I know again from experience, because I've talked to people, they're listening to Steve on Sunday, but then they're listening to heretics during the week and they don't discern the difference. If that can happen to people in a good church, it can happen to anyone. So understand, Satan loves working in churches. On a totally different context years ago, and I can't remember what the specific context was, but I remember an illustration that I used, because I remember researching it, of a guy that had, he wound up getting caught, and he had stolen tens of millions of dollars, and he stole it from churches, because the people were so gullible. And he got foot in the door of one church, and since he spoke at that church, he was invited to speak at this church, and it was a Ponzi scheme. He was picking people's pockets. But because he got his foot in the door of the church, everybody just accepted it. It's like, oh, okay, he must be okay because he spoke there. And they didn't look closely to see what he was saying. Now, that was just money, and that's insignificant. But people are dying spiritually because Satan is happy to use God's word to further his work. I'm going to talk more about it next week but he knows what you want to hear he knows your weaknesses from observation he's not God he's not omniscient but I think over and over Satan understands so for example sexual immorality he knows what you want to hear that it's okay so he finds somebody to put in a pulpit to say that very thing and people are deceived so with that, I will stop for today. Rig and I need to leave to get back up to church. Pray for Rig to get through the next time and that there won't be any...
difficult questions, but I will come back and finish the next two schemes next week. So let me close with some prayer, and then you can divide back up and finish your prayer time. Thanks for your understanding today. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the 40-plus years of Steve's faithful ministry of the Word. I thank you for all the elders and their love for the Word. Thank you for all the Sunday school classes that are going on on campus. I thank you for faith builders. And Lord, I pray that you'll protect our people. Satan wants to deceive and destroy, and that includes everyone who's hearing my voice, including me. But Lord, we have the ability to withstand his schemes. The word says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Lord, help us understand his schemes so that we can resist him. You also tell us to draw near to you and you'll draw near to us. Lord, help us do that. Help us be experts on you, not Satan. But Lord, we do need to know his schemes. And so I pray that you'll help us to process what's been shared today. And I pray that you'll help us next week to complete the message. Lord, we love you. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you all. I will see you, Lord willing, next week.